Welcome back. It's another episode of the Elvis Reviews podcast. I am here. Daniel's here. Hello. Hello. We're both here. <laughs> this is part two of yes. the random one-off singles that weren't on an album at the mm-hmm. time of release. Right. Uh, but first of all, you have a correction. Let's get that out of the way. Okay. Last episode, I said a really stupid thing. We were talking about the song, My Little Friend. And I said it was written by Cheryl Nielsen, which is insane. Cheryl Nielsen is the guy who does the high voice in uh, like softly as I leave you is mostly Cheryl Nielsen singing. I got it mixed up with Cheryl Millet. That's the name of the writer. Oh, yes. They also wrote the song Life, which ends the Love Letters album. And I, I, I think I just screwed him up because they both have first names that are that Cheryl, seem like Cheryl, yeah. they seem like girls names, but they're both men. And I just kind of got them mixed up. Oh, and then later I also mixed up Ginger and Linda, but <laughs> that's OK. I don't think anybody will notice that one. I don't, I don't think we were the first ones that did that. No. <laughs> and that's it. That's all. Except for okay. if anybody else has got any mistakes, please send us an email. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always some. There's always some. <laughs> yeah. We're not perfect. We don't claim to be. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> We just like listening to Elvis and talking about it. Yes. So uh, we sort of left on a cliffhanger last time. We did the A side. Mm -hmm. Now we're doing the B side of that same single. Right. The A side was It's Only Love, which uh, only went to number 51 in 1971. But then it was re-released in 1980. And yeah, it went to number three in 1980. Okay. But the B side. The first track we're doing. Right. It's called The Sound of Your Cry. Yes. Written by Bernie Baum, Bill Giant, and Florence K. Yes, who've written lots of Elvis songs. Mm, I've seen, I've recognized at least one of those names. Um, do they always write together or? No, but frequently they I did. recognize Bernie's name. Yeah, I know um, like Devil in Disguise, I think is one of the ones they've written. But they wrote a lot of stuff uh-huh. from, from the 60s. But usually not like movie stuff, like his better stuff from the 60s was written by this team. And I love this song. This was the the fourth song recorded at those big uh, American Studios sessions that produced In the Ghetto and Suspicious Minds and the entire That's the Way It Is album, the entire Elvis Country album. And this is really, this is one of my favorite songs. It's probably one of the last new Elvis songs that I ever got because it didn't really show up on an album in America until I think it was 1981. Yes, that is correct. I have it. It is the 1981 LP, Elvis Greatest Hits. Volume one. Yeah, what a a great name. (laughs) It's such a bad name for an album. And there's There's literally probably 26 (laughs) albums with that exact same name. And this one didn't even really have greatest hits like sound of your cry was not a hit <laughs> it's a b-side <laughs> yeah the best song on, on that album they had a live version of uh what i'd say which is really really good um mm. but yeah that's the first time i finally heard this song and yeah i really love this song it reminds me it's sort of the opposite of kentucky rain where it's a guy wakes up and the person in bed with him is gone and he has to go looking for him this is a guy looking at the girl sleeping next to him thinking i gotta get out of here before she wakes up because i don't want to hear her cry and there's a bunch of songs like this there's by the time i get to phoenix by glenn campbell is similar simon and garfunkel have one called wednesday morning at 3 a.m and also one called somewhere they can't find me that have kind of the same lyrics but yeah there are all these songs about leaving someone before they wake up again we've brought this up before but that's Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a a dark thought really it is yeah because it's really horrible to do that to someone (laughs) we i mean we don't know all the details of what's happened the night before but he wants to leave before anyone finds out this yeah. it just makes you think well what happened and it's like uh, i don't even want to think about it <laughs> well it's also i mean it's what kind did of he do it's like i he doesn't want to hear her cry i mean i don't know if you're breaking up with somebody that's just part of it i think you can't just run away i guess this is ghosting before it was called ghosting yes it yes just he's just gone he's just gone yeah so i love the like every other 
drum beat sounds like the ticking of a clock, which mm. I don't I don't know if that's like a wood block being hit or if it's just the side of the the drum, the rim or something. Oh, I like yeah. that sound. It has a really cool like it feels like he's in a room late at night and you can hear the clock ticking and stuff. Do you know what? That's a, that's something I think I'll, maybe not so much now, but people of the an older age, probably most of the people listening to this, mm-hmm. they know exactly what that sounds like. Maybe right. it's not your house. But if you ever went and stayed at someone else's house, when you, even when you were a kid and you yeah. were in a, a strange bedroom, you know, you'd, you'd lie there at night in the dark and you'd just listen. And, you know, yeah. half the time there's a ticking clock. And if you don't have that in your own house, your own room, you just sort of get fixated on it. I do anyway. Mm-hmm. No, I do too. And it's it's rare now because everything's, you know, digital. And it's all digital. Yeah. You just look at their phone. That's it. But yeah, I love I love the song. So you mentioned mm-hmm. By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I saw a few comments saying that this is basically just a rewrite of that with a slightly different story. Um, Do you know By the Time I Get to Phoenix? I don't remember it. I mean, it's the same premise, but it's really drastically different. Because by the time I get to Phoenix, he starts talking about, like, by the time I get to Albuquerque, she'll be waking up. And by the time I hit Oklahoma, she'll be at work. It's it's a much more involved and has a lot more lyrics. But yeah, it's the same premise. Basically, because yeah, I read that, and I just we haven't even gotten into what a <laughs> drama it was to record this show for the yeah, last we're few late, weeks. That's we? why it's slightly late. <laughs> I had a death in the family, so that that was about a week delayed, right. and then I didn't have any power after that, and then I didn't have any reception. <laughs> You've had issues with your car and stuff, and just yeah. it's just been a mission to get finally get both together at the same time. Time differences between here and there. Yeah. We're fine. We've finally done it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's why we're slightly late. Sorry for that. If you've been hanging out waiting for this next one, right. but we're here now. We are. <laughs> um, okay, back to this song. Now the released version of this is Take Eleven. Okay. Some people say Take Three is better or the best. Oh, and I, I went and listened to that, and it's a slightly different instrumentation. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about his voice on that. It sounds like he's doing every trick he knows just to keep things interesting. Mm. It's a cool listen, but I think this version was the right choice. It's a bit more subdued. Right. It sounds like the other version was like a you know these days. Imagine someone went on like American Idol. Mm-hmm. You know, you get one shot right. to impress all the people. And, you know, you're going to do every vocal trick that you know. That's what that other version sounds like. He's doing everything. I'm going to have to. He just I'm throws sure it-, it all on the wall and just sees what happens. But I think this version is his, the way he sings it here is much more suits the song. Yeah. I assume the take three must not have the strings and horns overdubbed yet probably right i don't recall the details i've just got slightly different instrumentation maybe it didn't have the strings but yeah it was it just sounded a bit different that's probably what it was i'm gonna have to check it out oh here's another thing to mention i'm actually sitting recording this in the car which i think i might have done once before uh, if so, I don't but think you where it. I'm staying right now, I have no reception. I do have power, but I've got no reception on the phone. So I've got no data. I can't record there. So I've driven oh. 20 minutes into the town and I'm sitting here <laughs> recording uh-huh. in the car. Anyway, uh-huh. people don't care about that. And it's hot there, isn't it? Like <laughs> it's really? warm. It's warming yeah. up. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, this song, the strings, the backing vocals, there's some sort of like chimes or bells, whatever they are. Mm -hmm. It's all okay, but Mm -hmm. it can get a bit over the top, as we've said so many times before. But this here, I think this more sort of subdued version is better than the other version, just for the vocal performance anyway. Yeah. Well, I I really, I do love this song. Um, I think it should have been a hit, honestly. I think it could have been a good title for an album. You know, a lot of the songs on here could have been on that album. Mm. But yeah, I, I just, it is one that I really, really love. And it feels like a hidden treasure as much as anything can uh, be. So let's go to the next one. It's the first time I ever, what? 
The first time I ever saw your face. <laughs> ever I saw your face. The first time ever I saw your there face. It That's it. I knew I'd get it wrong. I knew it. As soon as I read it, I knew it was wrong. Well, it is. It's a weird. It's phrased kind of weird. Yeah. Written by Ewan McCall. Famous version by Roberta Flack. Yes. A Scottish communist. Now, here's the thing that some comments I read that RCA really stuffed this up. Elvis recorded this in 1971 and then it was held for a year before it was released. And in that time, Roberta Flack, her version was released and it went to number one for six weeks. So who knows what could have happened if Elvis's version had come out and been the first version. It's an interesting thought. So who knows what could have happened if Elvis's version was released at when it was recorded. It was put straight out. Right. That could have been, who knows what could have happened, that could have been number one. It's a very different take on the song. It is. But who knows what could have happened if RCA didn't hold back his version for right. so long well, and then used... let Roberta Flack just take number one. Right. Well, there used to be a, a story that Elvis had recorded it before Roberta Flack, but I think that has been disproven at this point. I think he did have it recorded before her single came out. See, it was, it was in a Clint Eastwood movie called Play Misty for Me. And Clint Eastwood heard Roberta Flack's version before Elvis or before the movie. And he paid like $2,000 to have the song in the movie. So, yeah, I think RCA, they put it out after Roberta Flack's, but I don't think Elvis's would have had the same impact because it wasn't. It was the movie that made it a hit because mm. it had been out, I think, for a while before that and was not a hit. And it's a the song is from like 1960 or 59 or something. OK, yeah. I don't know when Roberta... I mean, she recorded it before Elvis, but they were, they were real sim real close to the same time frame. Okay. I like the song. It's a song I never was, I never felt like it. If you've heard the live versions, it always seemed like Elvis was still working on the arrangement. Like I never, mm. even when I listen to it now, I mean, I like it, I enjoy it, but it still doesn't quite feel like it's, it feels like something he would return to and do a little more on or something. We've talked so many times about, you know, Elvis takes a song, he makes it his own. Mm-hmm. This one seems like he never quite got there. Yes. He was on the way. He was tweaking here and there, right. but it doesn't sound like he's fully done the yeah. work and fully made it his own song. It's still a little off. You still listen to it and you're like, oh, this is just a take on the Roberta Flack version, even though yeah. that's not how it is. That's how it sounds because that's the big popular version that everyone knows. And we know like he, he did Hey Jude and he did Yesterday. He covered popular songs at the time. Mm -hmm. And again, even with those, didn't make them his own. The, guy who, yeah. the guy who wrote it, in 1957, Ewan McCall, he said that he hated all of the cover versions of the song and he had a special <laughs> sec section in his record collection for them entitled Chamber of Horrors. He said, <laughs> he said that the Elvis version was like Romeo at the bottom of the post office tower singing up to Juliet and the other versions he thought were travesties. So I think, I mean, I might be projecting, but it kind of sounds like he didn't think the Elvis one was as bad as the others. Yeah, yeah. He didn't hate it as much as the others. Yeah, he said the others were travesties, uh, histrionic, lacking in grace. But yeah, the Elvis one was... This one wasn't great, but it was <laughs> better, better than, than the, the others. others. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is my favorite version was in a TV movie called Elvis and the Beauty Queen, which was about Elvis and Linda Thompson, where Don Johnson from Miami Vice plays Elvis. And oh, wow. the voice of Elvis is by Ronnie McDowell, who did the voice of Elvis in the Kurt Russell Elvis thing. He really sounds like oh, Elvis. Yeah. And the version they use in the movie is, I mean, it's an impersonator, but the I like the arrangement better. You mm -hmm. can find it on YouTube because I'm the one who uploaded the video. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I actually wish Elvis would have done that version. Like it, the arrangement to me is better. But. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so many people have covered this yeah. song. I think even John Farnham has done a cover of this song back in like the 70s. I know George Michael has a version. Oh, so for many. One. So many. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think Elvis's version. It's it's pretty bland. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a song we've all heard before, mm-hmm. and I just think, again, this is just like the rare miss where Elvis doesn't do his magic and make a song his own, which he's done so many times before. I mean, there's a lot of really low notes, mm-hmm. and it sounds more like it's a um, listen to my vocal performance sort of song. I don't really get any emotion from it. I don't get any feeling. I just hear his voice, but I don't feel like there's anything behind it it's just what? i don't know i don't even know how to explain it what what about you've probably heard more live versions of this than i have yeah any of those stick out more because I again it, it I always don't recall okay because it because just I, always i mean i don't like i don't particularly love this song anyway i mean even okay. roberta flack's version mm-hmm. i fully admit it's a well-performed it's a good song it was a very popular song i don't like it myself that much right so even when elvis did it i'm like oh this song <laughs> i mean it, it even live it doesn't matter how well he might may have performed it right. i was just sort of i just zoned out a bit i think because I, I don't remember any live right. versions of it even though i've probably heard a lot yeah this is one that i the royal philharmonic did not do a version of and it seems like this is a perfect one because again i don't i don't think the re- arrangement is finished or quite right and why the the royal philharmonic orchestra didn't do this song i don't know because it seems like a perfect contender that they could have maybe Orchestra-wise, yes, but I think if they were also looking at just his vocal performance, Mm, maybe so. It's not that engaging a track. Yeah. So no matter how amazing they made all the orchestra behind it, it's still this vocal performance. Right. I think you know that's got to play a part in their decision. Yeah. It's like yeah, we can do with this, we can do that with the the strings and blah blah blah. But then they go back and listen to the original song and they're like, it's just not that great, is it? Well, yeah. Let's pick something else. Let's do the one review. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay, the next one. It's uh, it's a great song. It's called Burning Love. Yes. Now, we have talked about this before. It must have been at a couple of live shows. Twice uh, the Aloha rehearsal and the Aloha performance. I love this song. There is nothing (laughs) I do not like about this song. The guitar, the piano, the bass. Oh, the bass lines uh, through this whole song. Elvis's voice is just... I'm not going to say it's great. It's good. He doesn't go crazy, but he's just totally solid, dependable, you know. I agree, yeah. All the way through. It's like he's doing exactly what he's there for. He's not showing off. He's not bored. He's like right in the middle of just like, I'm just going to do this exactly as it should be. And right. it's just so good. Yeah. Like, I like there's these little, like, bell chimes in the chorus. Then in the, the second verse, you get, like, a cowbell come in on the, the right side. Mm-hmm. 138, there's a nice little bass run. And, and the drums, all talk about solid. Just the drums, solid, just all the way through. Very, yeah. It's like, again, there's nothing crazy. It's just do the job, do it good, <laughs> do it right. And that's what this song is. And I've always liked this song. This I, I cannot say for sure, but this is possibly one of the first Elvis songs that I that I ever heard. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. when, I don't remember where, but this song has always been in my head as an Elvis song. It's possibly one of the earliest times that I, I heard an Elvis song and I'm like, oh, that's Elvis. Yeah. You know, because you always just heard stuff on the radio. You don't know who it is. 
when right. you're a kid. But I think this was the first, one of the first anyway. My memory's not great, but I right. just remember this song and I've always liked it ever since, probably because I heard it when I was really young. And it's just a great song. It is a great song. We frequently talk about whether it sounds like of its time or whatever. And this this is such a Elvis 70s hit. Mm. You know what I mean? It just sounds like... Yeah, it just sounds like Elvis in the '70s at his top of the game. Yeah, but I agree. This is not the tar- This is not the track you pull out to say, "Oh, wait, do you hear Elvis's voice on this?" Because he's yeah. yeah, he's just doing the song. I wish it would have made it to number one. It only got to number two. Very very weird chart in 1972. Number one was the worst Chuck Berry song of all time called "My Dingaling." Hate that song. <laughs> Went to number one. Ah, kept kept that, burning love from being number one. Uh, you, sometimes you just, <laughs> I mean, just look at history. You mm. cannot stop a, a good novelty song. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. There, you know, there's the there's Macarena, there's Gangnam Style. There's just yeah. There's it's, there's there's just countless times of just some weird song, and you're like, how is this even a thing? And yeah. then it's like massively popular, and you're like, I oh man, it's it's just crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I that Chuck Berry song, I have no explanation for that <laughs> and then so Elvis is number two and then number three is uh Knights in White Satin which came out in 1967 so I don't know why so, yeah that came back three. somehow and then Ricky Nelson is like number seven with Garden Party it's this very uh retro kind of a top 10 in 1972 mm. in September yeah I don't know what to say I, I like the bass line I like the drums all the same stuff you said the Royal Philharmonic did do a version of this and they removed the bass, which sounds like a disaster, but it's not. It's a really the, the Royal Philharmonic version of Burning Love, believe it or not, is really, really, really good, in my opinion. I, I cannot imagine this without that bass line. I couldn't have either. And then when do 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 I can't imagine it without that. <laughs> I swear it really works. I mean I wouldn't have okay. thought so either, but it really I'll go works. and listen to it. But that just doesn't sound right. No, and I'm happy to admit when they screw up because there are plenty of royal harmonic <laughs> yes. versions that are bad but no they really did a good job on this i was shocked wow that's all i've got how good is the end bit with the hunker hunker oh, bone yeah. enough yeah and it's funny because live <laughs> it, it almost seems like he's embarrassed to sing that part yeah and like the because we saw we saw the video on the aloha stuff yeah. I don't know. He's just a shy boy from Memphis. <laughs> and for him to be on stage and try to act like this big heartthrob and he's this big hunk of burn and love, it's, yeah. I can see why he would feel embarrassed by that. Me too. But it's and... like the best part of the song. I love it. <laughs> but he didn't do it live. I mean, beyond like 1973. I mean, mm, maybe there's. Didn't a... do it a lot. No. There might be one or two, you know, like in 1974 and five. But after that, I don't think he ever did it again. Mm. So, yeah, I think you're right. He's a little uncomfortable with the. The, the hunka hunka. <laughs> I think so. It is I think funny. So. <laughs> but he could do big hunka love, and that was all right. Uh, we mentioned this before. It's it yeah. was it's always strange that there were two songs that's such mm-hmm. similar names. Yes. Such uh, similar titles. But anyway. Also with the hunka burn and love, you get the, the background doing the high notes, but then he does it as well. Yes, I love that. Toward the Which end is when great. He's, ah, ah. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> Yeah. I, I uh He just I wants agree. to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just wants to join in. Well, I think that's why he always had somebody background vocalist. I mean, I think he loved singing with people. And even though that's a, a lot of criticism about his music is that he had too many background singers. But I think that was just part of him. He, I mean, as soon as he could afford it, he got the Jordan Ayers all the way back in the 50s to, to do mm. background. I just think he really likes a lot of voices. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes to the detriment of the song, but that's Elvis. And I, I would guess... I would hazard a guess that goes back to his love of gospel. Absolutely. And he just wants that chorus behind him Mm -hmm. just for that, just for that sound. And yeah, doesn't always suit every song. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. But but when it works, it works. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Next song is "It's a Matter of Time." Right, the B side. The B side to "Burning Love." Love. So written by Clive Westlake. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like the song a lot. It's another one that I I feel like is you know kind of a hidden gem. Nobody really seems to know about the song. It uh, is a hidden gem. That's right. It's got a nice acoustic like Spanish guitar. Elvis sounds great. It it reminds me of like Early Morning Rain or That's What You Get for Loving Me. Like those quiet acoustic songs that he he didn't do too mm. often in the seventies. But when he did, like this one, I think it's beautiful. But yeah, I don't have a lot beyond that. Uh, I wish he would have done more songs like this. Yes. There's another version of this that Felton had horns overdubbed on. And I like that version too, but it really sounds like it belongs in like a, a Western or something, like some Mexican <laughs> movie. But other than that, it's it's just a great, quiet, little hidden song that it seems like people just don't know about. Is that is it the stamps in the background? Oh, probably. Uh, it could be the Imperials. Yeah, I don't know. J.D. Sumner and the stamps. Ah. But um, it's just a nice country track. Yeah. Like, I really don't mind these songs that are just pretty bare bones. I don't mm -hmm. mind some of the more overblown stuff with all the strings and the horns and the, the backing vocals. Right. But there's definitely something, you know, to be said for just basic tracks like this. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's nothing amazing. It's just a nice little track. He sings it well. Mm -hmm. I do. I like his voice on this. Of course, you know, I love it when he's shouting crazy high notes as well, which, <laughs> right. of course, is amazing. But it's great to hear him just sing a song like a normal person, mm -hmm. <laughs> just a normal country track. Yeah, I would have loved a whole album of, of these sort of country and folk, kind of just that quiet version of Elvis without yeah. all the yelling. I would have loved I a, mean, an album. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about AI before. Mm -hmm. I think you could get a few of these like big overblown performances with horns and strings and backing vocals. I think with AI, you could get all of that out. Oh, for sure. And just yeah. have like guitar and drums and bass and Elvis and, you know, maybe a couple of little, little other things. Yeah. And you could really strip back some of these massive, you know, bombastic things yeah. into basic tracks like this song. Yeah. And they, who knows if it's better? It'll be different. Right. Um, but I'm sure AI is not too far away from doing these things. No. Well, have you heard the, uh, the new Beatles song? I think that came out between last episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Song. That now and then. Now and then. Yeah. Where they just brought John Lennon's voice up from this like demo recording that he did on a cassette tape. Yeah. Which at the time, I think they couldn't separate it from the piano or something. And now, easy. Now they can't. Yes. And so I'm waiting for like the, the Pearl Harbor concert. Oh, yeah. God, some like Louisiana Hayride stuff. I mean, yeah, they could really, I, it might I'm not sure happen during our- I'm working on that already. I think so. But um, even after we're dead and gone, I think there'll be new Elvis tracks that they've oh, yeah. restored and stuff. So. Yeah, this song, it's a matter of time. You get the shakers come in on the chorus. I like that. Mm -hmm. This was performed live once. Yeah. August 25th, 1973, Midnight Show. Yes. If I'm thinking of the right track, in this show, he just starts, he just calls out, what, what do you want to hear? Yeah. And someone calls him a matter of time and he's like, oh, well, okay, we'll give that a go. He just starts yeah. singing. Straight away, the band are right there. Like a song they haven't even ever played, but they know the song. Well, they're his band. They're his studio band as well, aren't they? I mean, I think they are. True, but still, it's one track that they played probably oh, 10 right. times <laughs> years right. ago. That's true. That's true. And they probably and they probably play so many tracks. Yeah. And just for them to just pick it up. I mean, it's not an incredibly hard song to play. Right. But still, just for them to pick it up like that. And it sounds it sounds great. Yeah. I want to mention this is probably not necessary to mention, but there is another song called It's Only a Matter of Time that is a totally different song. It's a song by Brooke Benton. It's a great song. But it's a totally different song. I remember when I first got this, God, I was a little kid, 
And uh, my dad was like, oh, he does it's a matter of time. And he got him confused. <laughs> so just anybody uh-huh. out there who's familiar with the Brooke Benton one, it's totally different song. No similarity at all. Not at all. We're on the last single already. I got two more. Well, two more tracks. One, one single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically. The next song is Separate Ways. Mm. Uh, what do you got for this one? Well, this was written by Red West and oh, yes. Richard Menangra. He wrote the music and I think Red West wrote the lyrics. Red West is one of Elvis's bodyguards and closest friends at this point. So this was really written kind of like If I Can Dream. It was written very much for Elvis, for the situation he was currently in. I mean, so yeah, it's hard to not think about Priscilla. The next two songs, they're, they're so similar, separate ways mm. and always on my mind. The, the whole single just feels like a, yep, my marriage is falling apart. <laughs> Here's what's going mm. on. Here's the song. I don't know if you know this, but you've got all the books. Maybe it's in there. You know, how widely well-known was it that Elvis was getting divorced at the time? Oh, it was, was it like big news or was yeah. it sort of kept a bit quiet until it was, it was all, all over, done? All over the tabloids. Oh, okay. It was all over the tabloids about uh, maybe Priscilla was having an affair or Elvis was doing this. It was public knowledge. So at the time this came out, people yeah. would have heard these songs and they would have made the connection that you just made that they're yeah. like, oh, this is about that. It's like he's literally addressing and since he didn't write songs these are the songs like this are really it's as close to elvis having written the song as you're gonna get Mm. basically and the same thing with if i can dream that was very much you know it was written with him in mind after talking to him about things and it's like okay i got his point of view here's the song so yeah this is as close as you're gonna get to elvis really expressing his own feelings at the time here's another question not related to this did he ever change lyrics to any made like you know maybe he could change one word here or there but did he ever like change a whole line and just like i don't i really don't like that line i'm going to change it to this it seems like he must have but i can't think of the time when he did that i mean he he dropped whole verses sometimes where he's just like i'm not going to do that verse Nah, nothing I mean, I'm I sure there's people of. out there who have listened to like take after take after take of rehearsals right. and stuff. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, in this, you know, take four, he changed this word to this word. Yeah, but, I mean, there's definitely yeah. that and like, you know, phrasing and, and things like that. But yeah, nothing major that I know of. That's just the thought yeah. I had because, yeah, yeah, I mean, he didn't write songs. Right. But some of these songs seem so tailored, so perfect for him that it, you almost think, did he have any hand in you know, right. just molding it just a little bit to more to suit him. Well, again, since Red West wrote this one, I think it's, I mean, Elvis might have had input, but it might have been input he didn't even realize. I mean, he might have had a conversation and Red West mm. wrote the song, you know? Yeah, more, yes. like I said, more, more than most songs. This is a very, like, a, a autobiographical one, I think. Yeah, I mean, literally half of this song could have been a conversation that he had with someone. Absolutely. Like, just whole sentences that he said. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone's gone away and just written that down. Yeah. Anyway. I like this song a lot. Um, I like, again, that it's it's a little bit like it's a matter of time. It's, it's more acoustic-based, which is cool. It's not bombastic like a lot of 70s stuff was, which I like mm. that stuff too. But again, this is a nice little quiet, very personally revealing song about Elvis. This is another song that got used in that Don Johnson TV movie, oh, Elvis yeah. and the Beauty Queen. But in that, they used it to be about Linda Thompson, which is weird because I always think of Priscilla when I hear the song. Mm. Yeah, I think it's uh, we haven't gotten to side two Yet, but I think this was a great single because both sides are very much on the same topic. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I just... I must... do like this one. It's a nice, easy listen. Yes. But I don't focus on lyrics that much. If you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh, wow, this is a pretty, you know, yeah. this is a serious, this is a deep song. There's, there's stuff going on here. I just get the music and the feeling of it, and I don't really pay that much attention to it. But I do like, there's a change at 122, and and again, like a few other songs we've talked about before, like that happens, and I'm just like, where is this going? What? That's <laughs> not what. That's not the chord you're supposed to play there. And it's just like, what? Is that but, the part where it goes to someday when she's older, maybe she will understand? Yeah, 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 someday. That's the okay. one. Yeah, that's yeah, the, goes like up. the piano yeah. goes down to some chord and then it comes back up and then he starts singing. And yeah. it's just, yeah, when that starts, I'm just like, where, where are we going? What's this? <laughs> but see, that's what I like. As a musical person, I yes. like unexpected things. I mean, sure, I love a perfectly predictable pop song where everything's just exactly as you expect it. But then I also do really like something that's just totally unexpected, takes you yeah. somewhere because then you're really paying attention. And you're yeah. like, what is this? And, yeah. and you know, when it comes back, it's pretty much, it's not a massive change, but just that sort of down and then back up. And it's just like, oh, that was that was something. Yeah, I like I that. Like that. I do too. But yeah, it's it's quite short. It's only two and a half minutes, but still. Mm. It's got nice piano, nice guitar. Except, oh my God, I, I've been waiting for this. Mm. Very, very rarely, there's just a bad note. Uh-huh. And it's in this song. It's at 2.11. There's just one awful guitar note. And th- okay. there's no explanation. <laughs> no one could say, oh, I was, I meant to, you know, I'm doing a thing. It's part of this pentatonic scale. No, it's just a bad note. There's, it's not part of anything. <laughs> And I, I just I, I just laugh every time I hear it. Yeah, I think because like it's in it. the middle of like doing something else, and then there's just this one, ah, just one bad note, and it's just like oh. <laughs> and when I heard it, I'm like, really? They just left that in there? And Is like, it yep. uh, acoustic guitar? Yeah, yeah, hearing? yeah. Okay. It's like two ten yeah. to eleven. It's just yeah. one note. And as soon as you hear it, it's just like quack. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, it's so noticeable to me. Uh, uh, maybe maybe I've ruined the song for somebody, but it's just uh it's it's just funny to me. It's just yeah. funny that I, that they left it in there. I, I think I kinda hear it. But yeah, it doesn't jump out at me as, as much as it does for you. But then again, I'm so I've heard the song since I was ten. <laughs> so I'm so used to everything. Maybe on a later remaster or something. I mean, it'd be very mm. simple if they have the multi-tracks to just mute that for a millisecond and right. take that bad note out. Whether they've done that, I don't know. But yeah, this original version, it's just, ooh, <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> mm. But anyway, we are up to the last track of the 13 tracks that um, these wow, one-off singles. singles. So here we go. Yeah. It's a big one. It it's is. Always On My Mind by Elvis Presley. <laughs> that's right. Now, Not Willie Nelson. Uh, no. People think he wrote it. I'm probably the most familiar with, was there a version? Was it in the 90s? Was it like Pet Shop the Boys Pet or Shop something? Boys. Absolutely. That's the version that I, first that's two. the first time I heard this song was that version. Mm. And then later, obviously, all the other older versions, but that's the one that's in my head. But to me, that's just sort of like a synthy pop track, is. which is, you know, that's what they do. They're Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> right. So then, yeah, eventually when I discover the Elvis version and, you know, Willie Nelson and other people who've done it, it's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. It's not meant to be that. It's this. Right. <laughs> right. But I, yeah, I'd love the Elvis version much, much better. You really get the emotion more than the, the synth pop sort of Absolutely. whatever whatever that thing is. But I don't, like, I don't I hate that version either. I mean, I've heard it a million mm-hmm. times on the radio. It's fine. And what was the other one? Suspicious Minds. Were that Fine Young Cannibals? Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah, see, there's all, <laughs> see, all that stuff. That's the stuff that I know. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But like instrument wise, this song, I think it's mostly about the piano. Oh, yeah. That's the main instrument. Like everything else sort of takes a back seat. There's a few little guitar bits come in and out. I mean, the yeah. drums, the drums are there all the way through, but the piano is the main instrument of this song, I think. For sure. Like even the bass, a very quiet bass. You can barely even hear it. There's an organ that comes in at one point. Again, straining to hear it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And the There's voices. some interesting drumming actually going on. I mean, for most of the song, it's a pretty standard thing. But then every now and then, there'll just be like a really quick fill or a yeah. something interesting. And again, some of these are even buried in the mix. Like, there's one point where he's just going crazy on like the, the crash, the ride cymbal. But it's sort of buried in the back as well. It's not like right up front, like crazy bashing a cymbal. But it's yeah. it's there. But um, it's a great song. And like it you is. said, it's... The emotion is there, and we know why now. Right. Well, even at the time, you, people knew. Yeah. Huh. That's what I mean. This was such an autobiographical single, I think, at the time. Both sides. Which, I mean, I was, I was going to say, does anyone do that anymore? But then I'm like, well, Taylor Swift does that with every song, every album. <laughs> every song's about, I broke up with this guy, and he did this. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. So people still are doing that. Maybe not not the same, but it's still happening. Yeah. So yeah, what do you got for this one? Our final think, track. Yes. Um, well, I definitely, I did hear the Elvis version before the others. And then I think I heard the Willie Nelson version. And then for years, people were like, oh, that's a Willie Nelson song. Yeah, he wrote that song. And no, he covered it many years after it was written and many years after Elvis had done it. So Willie's is just a cover version. The Pet Shop Boys one came out in 1987. I had no idea that it was done for an Elvis TV special commemorating uh, the 10-year anniversary of when Elvis died. Oh, wow. And it says... I wouldn't have guessed that that version was that early. I thought it was like maybe early 90s. Yeah, no, 87. If I would have guessed a year, I would have said like maybe 93, 94. Because that's when Pet Shop Boys was sort of really, you know, in the pop charts. But Yeah, Um, well, it says their performance... It was called Love Me Tender, a television special on ITV in the United Kingdom commemorating 10th anniversary, featured various popular acts performing cover versions. Pet Shop Boys' performance was so well-received that the duo decided to record the song and release it as a single. So the single might have... I mean, I assume the single also came out in 87, but they could have been some lack you like might have might have came out in 91 or something don't know i should know but i don't have that interesting i wonder if that itv special's available anywhere oh that's a good have to have a look on youtube yeah it was called love me tender interesting but yeah the song it i should have the dates but they re-released always on my mind on a single on purple vinyl for some reason in the 80s and they they re-recorded the background and it's a much to me it's much better i think they took out some of the voices that weren't elvis and it's got a much cooler like string section. I think it's only available in like that one album that came out at some point in the eighties. That'll probably be on YouTube. Uh, yeah, it's weird I'll because they. Re- I'll have to have a look for that because I want to hear a different the different version. It's like they re-recorded the background but didn't tell anybody about it. Like it wasn't advertised. It was just if you heard uh, it, yeah. you knew it was different. But they didn't make a big deal out of it. But it's a to me a much better version. Mm. Yeah, this is a lot like Separate Ways. It's very much seems like you know what's on Elvis's mind at the time. Well, always on my mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's what on his mind? <laughs> I what you, know, you, what I feel you like just it's... said there reminds me of um, Roy Orbison, where mm-hmm. I think in like early to mid '80s he couldn't get access to any of his back catalog, right? Because of you know whatever record company currently had the rights to it, they weren't 
doing yes. deals and they just said no. And he's like, well, I'll just go and record everything again. Yeah. And then at some point he put out like a greatest hits album. And they were all in the all 80s recorded. sometime. And if you, <laughs> the funny thing is, if you go and look up that specific greatest hits on Amazon, mm-hmm. most of it's just people whinging about, these are not the original versions that I know on the radio. These are I'm... all re-recorded. <laughs> Obviously, Roy's voice never changed. He's his vocal performance was perfect, exactly the same. But obviously all the music was recorded, you know, 10, 20 years earlier. So that had changed. All the music was redone. And yeah, there's a lot of people who were complaining about that. I'm pretty sure I had that album. I think it's the one just, it's sort of got maybe a bit of orange color on it and it's got sunglasses. Is it called In Dreams or it's just called Greatest Hits? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's got just the sunglasses on the cover. Okay. I feel like I bought one and I think it was a double album and it was called In Dreams. I have to research this because I could be totally wrong about all of it. And I had the same problem. I got it, listened to it, and it's like, this is, none of these are the right (laughs) songs. Even if it wasn't that same one, it could have been just another reissue of it. It's funny, because, I mean, I always think of Prince as being the, you know, one of the main people who was like, I'm just going to re-record everything since I can't get my masters back. But this goes all the way back to the 30s and 40s, where Frank Sinatra was like re-recording songs every time they go to a different label. So yeah, it it goes back a long way, I suppose. Well, I don't think the history of um, record companies and... um, publishing people screwing over artists is a new thing (laughs) it's been going on for a long time (laughs) yeah yeah the funny thing with um uh, again i'll bring up taylor swift she's Mm -hmm. doing that she's because there was some deal scooter braun took her Mm -hmm. first like six albums or something and sold them and Mm -hmm. she's like okay i'll just record everything all again and her fans are so loyal they've just gone out and bought everything again yeah so great for her i mean she's she's making money she's doing very well and the most loyal fans don't get into an argument on like social media about Taylor Swift. You will be killed. <laughs> you will be murdered by thousands of Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> There's very little chance of that happening to me, <laughs> but I am very impressed with what Taylor Swift is doing because it's exactly what I thought Prince was going to do. And then he yep. just did 1999, like an inferior yeah. version. <laughs> That's the thing. If he'd done it as close to the original as possible, but just yeah. different enough, it yeah. would have been fine because he made it so different. And he did a bunch of remixes, which people didn't like. It just mm-hmm. got slammed by Prince fans. Yeah. And I think that sort of put him off. He's like, well, why am I doing this? I'm doing it for them. And they don't even like it. So if he was if he was really doing it for the fans, though, he would have done it as close to the original. You know what yeah. I mean? I think he's, you know how Prince was. He wanted to <laughs> twist it and it just yeah. didn't work out. <laughs> and he's like, oh, we'll do Little Red Corvette, but I'll just get Rosaria Dawson to just ramble on <laughs> just about Just read something. things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Anyway, anyway always on my mind. Yeah, I don't know if I've... <laughs> Always on my mind. I mean, it's a classic, in my opinion. It really is. And Elvis's version is much better to me than the Willie Nelson or the Pet Shop Boys or any version I've ever heard. Yeah. It's been used, I think, again, in a lot of whenever there's an Elvis uh, documentary and, you know, him and Priscilla are breaking up. This is the montage song. Yeah. There was a movie called This is Elvis, the first big Elvis documentary. And Always On My Mind was prominently featured during a big montage of, you know, Elvis and Priscilla getting married and going on vacation and all that Mm. that stuff. Always On My Mind is a classic and I have nothing else to say. (laughs) Okay, then that's it. We are done. Those are the 13 tracks in uh, release, date release order. Yes, which is a shame because that means 1972 and this particular single was the last the last sort of new material on an Elvis single. After this single, every single comes from an album and 
So this is, yeah, this is the last single only. I mean, the only thing I could say is imagine if this was an album. Yeah, good album. There are some big tracks on here. There are some pretty yeah. standard album tracks as well, but there are, I mean, there's some big singles. If this yeah. was a one album, wow. It's got Burning Love. It's got Always On My Mind. It's got Kentucky Rain. It's got Kentucky it's got, Rain. Yeah. It would have been one of his best albums of the 70s, in my opinion. Yeah. There's, Especially there's the, the later half of the 70s, anyway. Has there ever been any official release that sort of covers these non-album yes. tracks? Yes. And I don't mean just like a box set, box which set. has everything. <laughs> right. No, they've put out a couple of albums. I'd have to go and really dig to find them. But no, they put out a few things called like, you know, the Lost Album from the 70s, and it'll have a lot of these tracks on it. Uh, like an official release? Yes. Oh, okay. I don't have it handy, but they definitely put out an album that had, that picked up a lot of these from the as 70s. As much as I understand the financial reason for them doing that, you know, they're going to make money, mm -hmm. people are going to buy it. Mm -hmm. But then if you're like a hardcore collector of any artist, like we are, were with Prince, mm -hmm. you've got all the singles, you've got all the B-sides, you've got all these random one-off things. And then at some point they just put out an album which has them all on it and i'm like no <laughs> yeah i know people don't deserve that if they weren't there on the ride collecting yeah. things as as they came out you can't just hand it all to them now for 15 too, bucks no too late i've done the work <laughs> yes yeah. this, this is you not right even, you don't even have to pay the 15 bucks just go on youtube and oh just you know it's all free <laughs> i got frustrated with that too i remember when prince the the hits and the b-sides came out like, all the, yeah, that third disc, as great as it was, <laughs> yeah. it was great to have them all there. But still, it's like, if you didn't get the original vinyl, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. We've done the 70s. It's complete. Yeah, that's That's true. crazy. Uh, yeah, we have. Every officially during his lifetime released track we have covered. So now we need cool. to figure out, are we going... Backward or forward? Are we going 50s? Well, I know you prefer the live stuff, which is definitely back in the 70s. I don't really know what to do next either. I like covering the singles. I think it's a really interesting way to kind of follow his career, mm. especially in the 60s. If you look at just the singles releases, it's really not that bad. There's not really... If you're looking at the albums, you can see the low point. But with the singles, his releases in the 60s are actually, I mean, they're pretty decent. And there's a lot that didn't appear on albums, only on compilations like Gold Records, Volume 2, 3. It'd be interesting if you could look at all the movie soundtracks, but just ignore the fact that they're movie soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about the movie at all. Just look at the album as it is. Yeah, there's some rubbish tracks on every album. But like you said, there's going to be a couple of one or two good tracks on each album, at least, hopefully. Yeah, whenever I, when I think of it that way, like when I listen to the, uh, the Harem Scarum soundtrack, track it's almost psychedelic if you don't mm. think about the movie it's got like you know these weird eastern instruments that the beatles were playing around with but it's just <laughs> were, not as good here's a question were the soundtracks for the movies were the songs written for the movie to fit yes. certain scenes by and large they were written for the movie okay so that's why that's why a lot of them are probably quite average it's because we just yeah. need a song to cover this section it's got to be right. about him turning up at the shop and um <laughs> right it's got to be about this it's got to fit the scene yeah that he puts on a boat to make the hull stronger is <laughs> like like clam bake there's literally a song in there just about <laughs> about working on the boat yeah oh, interesting then, Girls, Girls, Girls has one called Song of Shrimp, where he's just, he's a fisherman, oh, no. just singing no. about shrimp. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think we do the 50s first then. You can tell I'm just putting off the movies, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, the 50s are easy because of the box set. We could really just cover the whole 50s box set, or we could we could do it album by album. Oh, you want to do the original album, though? Yeah, you're right. You've got to do the, the impact of this as an album as it came out. Yeah, you're right. That is how we've been doing it. Yeah. Were there one-off singles in the 50s as well? There were... At, Not a lot. They were one-off at first, but then they got collected on an album. And especially when Elvis went into the army and they were desperate for new material. Then they put out that stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah. A Date with Elvis is a name of one of the albums while he was in the army, and it's all just old stuff. Oh, well, if they've, if they've already compiled that stuff, that saves us doing another singles yeah. compilation. It's already done. Yeah, they're okay. all on albums. So there we go. The 1970s are done. We're going to the 50s. Cool. Back to the future. <laughs> yeah, back to the beginning, to the very beginning. Oh, that'll be interesting. It will. Okay. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yes. Sorry Merry we're a bit Christmas. late. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Another thing, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yes, it's December. <laughs> The other thing we haven't even mentioned is just the technical problems we've had just trying to record this show. Apart from all the other obstacles we've had in the last two weeks, yeah. just today there's been things cutting out and Wi-Fi stopping and people disappearing and yeah. hopefully I can off. do the magic of editing and everything sounds perfect and you'll never know any different except that I've just told you. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you can cut that out. People need to know that we, we suffer. We work hard. Yes. <laughs> we. I'm sweating in this car now. It's like it's getting quite warm. It's December here and it should shouldn't be as hot as it is where I'm at either, but it is. So we'll be right. back in 2024 with That's right. something from the 1950s, probably the first album. That would make sense. Yeah, unless we go to the sun, unless we go all the way to the beginning and go with the sun. Oh, the records. sun records album. Oh, interesting. Well, there is, there is no sun records album. I mean, there's a sun collection much later. But those songs were just on singles and then RCA reissued them on singles. And then by the time you get to 1959, when Elvis is in the army, that's when a lot of those finally pop up on an album, on two albums. One called for LP fans only, and the other is a date with Elvis. We'll, yeah, figure we'll have out. to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So thank you for listening. If you want to send us an email, it's ElvisReviewsPodcast at gmail.com. Tell us all the mistakes we made. I'm sure there's some. Yes. And I need to get out of this car. It's too hot. Fair enough. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next year. Yes. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Elvis has left the building.